Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in. It's officially our final Blue White Breakdown podcast of the off season. Uh, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith here. The last week before Penn State starts an official game week leading up to Thursday, uh, Thursday night, September 1st at Purdue. Got a little bit of news to touch on, and I know this isn't, you know, related to Penn State's season opener, but Beaver Stadium and the little bit of early speculation that there could be alcohol sales there, Bob. I, I know you got an opinion on this. Is it a good one or, or a bad one? Like revenue is revenue, but I, I want to hear you make the case why this is good or, or potentially bad. Honestly, I think it's ridiculous that they didn't tap into this revenue source you know, a long time ago. Like, let's let's not kid ourselves. Let's if you're Penn State, let's not kid ourselves. You let people, a lot of people, and not just the students, you let people tailgate for six to eight hours before the games, especially the big games. Um, and if it's a late, if it's a night game, forget about it. Are they are they moderate in drinking? Most of them are. Watching football with your favorite beverage, whether it's a soda, a Gatorade, or you know, a light beer. I mean, that's just part of, I think, the entire experience. A lot of these people that come up, they either stay over or they stay really late or they have a designated driver or, you know what I mean? It's, I don't know why they waited this long. I think it's, I think I'm glad they're finally experimenting. Um, I think, I think the presence of the new athletic director, Pat Kraft has, has maybe, he's given it a little, a little nudge, but they need to make some money. A lot of the fan base would support it. It's certainly going on at other places in the Big Ten, and uh, there there are no issues there. So good, good on Penn State. I think it's gonna. It's technically it's an experiment, Dustin, but I'm pretty sure it's gonna it's gonna be one of those things. But it's gonna be like, yeah, uh, now that we experimented with it, we're gonna do it. So yeah, I, I don't see any reason why not. Maybe maybe you feel otherwise, but I mean, if if you're gonna let people drink before the game and after the game at their leisure, like why not let them have a couple beers during, but my, my question is when you have a hundred thousand people there, what are the beer lines going to look like? And how's that, how's that going to go? Maybe that's, that's where the experiment is. I, I guarantee it's more of a logistical experiment, but the, the, the incentive for people who really want to uh, code up before a game is to race to the, to the start time you race and you, you, because you can't leave and come back. You know, like I, I feel like not that it'll have some kind of tangible effect on binge drinking necessarily, but the incentive structure changes a little bit when you know you can drink in the stadium and you don't have to realize like this is the last beer I'm going to have for four hours. You know, I, I, I better make them all count. Maybe some students trickle in a little earlier because they know they can grab a brew, you know, and and, and wait. So I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like. Money wins the day, and ultimately that that's everything here. But 
I, I feel like the the days of like protecting your home stadium from the evils of alcohol are have long been over anyway. So why not why not make some money? And and I, I do feel bad for impoverished Penn State athletics and the impoverished Penn State football program. They they need they need to raise some funds here, Bob. Yeah. Well, and then, well, the other thing is, got couple just a couple of notes. So I don't know how much this is going to benefit the students because you know ballparking the the cost of a beer it's gonna be it's gonna be at least probably ten bucks, probably a little bit more. So um, it's it's I think it's really more for. The, the the more mature crowd who has some money to burn, the crowd that pays the two night minimum at the Penn State Conference Center Hotel or the Penn State or, or the, the university thing, and they, they don't bat an eye at spending like $1,500 for two days. What's another $200 for the family, for my, my wife, you know, my wife and I, and maybe one of our kids who's of age to have, you know, four or five beers. But yeah, that's going to be one thing they're going to have to navigate. And hopefully they do not. They do not gouge the fan base because I think that they certainly could. The other thing is that so Greg Pickle noted this last year when Penn State played Iowa in the game that Clifford got hurt. It was a really nice day. He took note of the fact that they have beer at Kinnick Stadium and the Iowa fans get after it every bit as much as the Penn State fans, whether it's pre-gaming or post-gaming. But he swears that he, he was watching the beer stands and they were they were pricey beers. You're allowed. You were allowed. It was a two beer minimum and people the line was packed. So people would just get their two beers and get back in line and drink them. And then, you know what I mean? It was like, did that for like the yeah. whole first half. So at some point they're sacrificing the actual game, even though that's probably on TV, but it shows you where the priority of the Iowa Hawkeyes fan base is. And I kind of, I kind of like it. I don't mind it, but I do think you're going to see some people going, maybe we won't go to those really small seats that are nosebleed seats, you know, you know, a mile away from the stadium. Maybe we'll just stay in this beer line for about a good hour and a half and then we'll go up there. Well, first of all, Greg would take note of that. That would definitely be something that Greg takes note of. Also, I would say that uh, the response to Penn State injuries was not what I would call a sober response. (laughs) So like I I would hold that up as one of the, well, let's just be cautious here. You know, let's, let's pump the brakes on alcohol sales. Like that would, that would be a pretty prime example to me of, of what alcohol can do to impact a crowd. Yeah. Well, Kirk Ferentz fanned the flames too, by not after the game, he basically said he thought they were kind of faking injuries too. So that only makes the situation worse, but uh, Penn state fans are going to boo at something, whether it's, whether it's, you know, something like that or, you know, a poor start by Penn State's offense. I mean, they're going to boo regardless. Dustin, they're, they're already wet when they come into the game. It's not like that. that's their first two or three beers. They've been at it for six hours. So it might actually soothe the savage, savage beast that they can have a couple of cocktails. And maybe they'll take it easy on Penn State's offense if it starts out slow, you know, in their first meaningful game at home this year. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, dr- <laughs> drinking a bunch of beers and taking it easy don't don't usually go hand in hand, but uh, but we'll see. May you know maybe people will pace themselves. Yeah, I, I almost went off on a tangent on on the idea of faking injuries to slow down Iowa's offense, but we we've covered that ground plenty be- before. I don't think we need to go back down that road <laughs> for the next Iowa Penn State games. Tee the I'll tee you up on that. Oh yeah, I I I am I I enthusiastically talk about the ridiculousness of, of all that. Let's talk about Penn State's running backs. 
I, th- I think these guys, you know, the coaches have all had opportunities to just say, hey, let's uh, let's tamper this down a little bit when it comes to Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. These are young guys, you know. We we can't expect too much too soon. And now we have another, you know, Jay Wan Sider talking about him this week, said the depth chart's fluid, um, said there's some old school streaks, said that, uh, that both Katron Allen and Nick Singleton would absolutely play week one. These guys were kind of made for this. So there's there's no holding back now, Bob. Any, any indication of whether these guys were ready, they've been indicating it all along. Yeah, so the running back room, obviously it's it's a different world at running back. Even though Penn State generally only plays one at a time, they are, during the course of a game, you would think if Penn State does commit to the run more this year, you're talking about, you know, like a minimum of maybe 35 rushing attempts, and you're not going to give them all to whoever the starter is. And, you know, I, I think, Dustin, in a perfect world, you would maybe – Feature two backs and maybe the third back gets gets a left a, a series here and there just because they want to keep his head in the game and make him focused on the practice field. And I think that's what Penn State is doing. Eventually, though, they're going to have to identify the bell cow and give him eighteen to twenty carries a game. Um, they, I think they wait. They wait. They definitely waited too long to do it last year with Kevon Lee. I think Kevon Lee by is is still a heck of a a threat as a runner, but I do think they feel really good about these young guys, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, because each of them probably bring a little, a little something different to the running back room. My one concern though, is I'm glad they enrolled early, but you know, the average fan, I think they lose, they lose track of the fact that if a running back is in the game on a passing down and he's not running a route, he has got to know what the hell he's doing in pass protection um, or the, the quarterback's going to take a beating. And that's usually the last thing that they, they need to learn and be able to be trusted with because they don't, you know, Nick Singleton wasn't asked to pass protect, you know, in high school when he's rampaging through, you know, the defensive line and linebackers. And I'm sure Catron Allen, you know, they, those, the best running backs are just, they're just going to run the ball at that level. So I just hope they are, they are up to task when it comes to pass protection they're not going to have to do it maybe a lot, but there's going to be some times in games when, when the other team knows that Penn State's going to pass and they're going to, they're going to send some extra guys at Sean Clifford and they're going to, they better be able to pick them up a couple times during the game. But I do think everything – I think Nick Singleton is definitely worthy of the hype for sure. And Katron Allen in the limited samples we, we saw him in the blue-white game is certainly a guy. You know, if, if the Penn State wanted to give him 10 carries a game, I don't, I don't think – especially late in the game, you know, he, I think he would add, I think, to the Penn State running game experience. But let's not forget that Kevon Lee's a pretty good back, too. It's easy to always think about the future. And I guess the first time Nick Singleton goes 50 yards, you know, and he breaks the tackle at the line of scrimmage, the, the clamoring's going to begin. But they should feel good about their running back room. I just hope when the running back's coach throws out praise before they've ever played a down that – We've been we have we actually have been down this road before, and some guys have not panned out. So I do think you're going to see all three against Purdue. I I just really hope they're prepared for the college experience. Well, the type of praise that they've been getting isn't like, hey, Nick Singleton's gonna, you know, he he's the best back we've ever had. Like it, it's more like maturity, and it's talking about Nick Singleton with his strength and testing numbers, and you know, and that kind of thing. And so I don't know that there's some unrealistic bar being set, but 
you know, it is with Kaziah Holmes now off to the transfer portal. Devin Ford's still there, too. It's almost like a commitment. If you're going to play both of these freshmen, you're going to in some way or another get four backs involved. And one of those backs is definitely going to be on the light end of the share. And I would I would guess that that's Devin Ford. You know, the other part of this is, you know, having four good backs or three good backs. You know, like it's an opportunity for the coaching staff. I also feel like it's a burden of responsibility. You have to have some kind of methodology for how you go about managing these guys. And I'm not sure, you know, especially after last year, you could say, oh, we, we trust the coaches to, to manage this situation well and make sure they get the best out of all of them. Dustin, you're right. And the fact that they're opening up on the road against Purdue where you can't afford to kind of – you can't afford, right? You can't afford to throw away possessions getting some getting a, a freshman's feet wet. You can't. You just can't. You can't give up two or three possessions against this Purdue offense because they can like their defense all they want this year. They lost a lot of good players off last year's defense. And Purdue's going to score. I mean, Jeff Brown's a good coach. They got a veteran quarterback, and he's going to find some ways to score some points in this game. So it, it'd be one thing if they they had a soft opener. Um, but they don't. And uh, I am mindful of that as well. My best guess is what they usually do. I would imagine Kevon Lee's going to start, get two series. They're going to go to Singleton for two. They're going to give Allen one. And then what are they going to do after that? By that time, it's going to be halftime. And are you going to do the same thing in the second half if you're behind or you have a narrow lead? So it is, it's such a balancing act anymore, Dustin, with the transfer portal and parents and these and these Ballyhood recruits who are, who are you know, lavish with praise just to get them on campus. And so I don't want to say it's, it's, it is, it is a, it's a situation where Penn state cannot win. What I would say though, is I think they need to get the pecking order and they got to get the plan together sooner during the regular season. They got to make decisions a little bit quicker than they did last year, because last year was a disaster in terms of uh, how they, how they approached the running game, whether it was commitment or how they rotated backs. The best running back, Kevon Lee, I thought was he was clearly the best runner a month into the season, and they didn't really feature him till the final four games. And even then, they only gave him like ten or twelve carries a game. So, if you guys want to do this against Purdue just to make sure the freshmen look as good in games as they do in practice, I understand that. But you got to pull the trigger on on a two back rotation, and and then everyone else can just it'll be like who looks good on the practice field. And as far as Devin Ford goes, you know he's in his fourth year here, and I'm sure he's not thrilled with what coach Sider said about the freshman playing against Purdue, but the guys had a lot of chances to establish himself after a great prep career. He hasn't done it. So like I said, I'm a little surprised he's still on the roster. Yeah. I, I thought for sure he was a prime candidate to go seek some, uh, a fresh start someplace else. This is the blue white breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different. And we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Sticking with the offense and sticking with this idea of, of taking every opportunity to mention a name, Sal Wormley is, is another guy that, you know, his name keeps popping up. And, you know, I think James Franklin, the way that he talked about him this week was that losing him before last season maybe hurt more than we realized I, I don't know maybe maybe he's pumping this up a little bit that seems to be your your take but I mean they do seem to really like what Sal Wormley brings to the table and that they were excited about him last year and they're he's picked up where he left off what what are your thoughts there 
I'm trying to remember the first time you mentioned Wormley, and it, I think it was like the middle of the season. We, we thought he was going to be a starter. It was almost like a little bit a matter of convenience that, oh, yeah, by the way, the reason we're not a little bit better is we lost the guy we really liked who was going to be a starter. Like that, you know, usually James and the coaching staff, I didn't hear a lot of Salim Wormley's name prior to the season opener against Wisconsin. I didn't I didn't hear his name a lot in spring. Maybe maybe I maybe I missed it, but look, I'm sure he was a talented he was a talented player coming out of uh coming out of high school. My, my gauge on what Penn State's going to do is I still I still think they really like Hunter Norzad, and I think I think they're going to play all three guards. Um, the fact that Hunter Norzad, Phil Troutwine said er, like uh, during his availability a couple weeks ago, at one practice he played center, left guard, and right guard. So there could be a a, a world in which. Scrub starts at center. It's Tangwall at left guard and Wormley at right guard. But during the course of the game, Norzad could get starter snaps. He could just play multiple positions and end up playing, you know, 30 or 40 snaps. And if there's an injury, I think he's a he's a plug-in guy. It was going to be hard for him to just hit the ground running when he got here in August. He was a little bit behind, but I think they do really like him. And I think Penn State feels a lot better about the middle of its offensive line. But one thing I one thing I want to say about the I was thinking about this. It's not deep thoughts, Dustin, but the offensive line, Franklin's gone out of his way to really not praise them this much saying they're going to have to earn it this year. And I and I get that, but he talked about Wormley and about how he proved it in one-on-one drills and it was obvious. And that's a big part of offensive line play. But just listening to our friend Ross Tucker over the years uh, maybe on different podcasts or in general talking about the offensive line. He's not kidding when he says, you know, they have to be a, an intelligent group and they have to know it's more to just physical strength at this level. And a lot of times I think what Penn State struggled in the run game or in the pass game, they struggled with line stunts. They struggled picking up blitzes, you know, communicating, I think, uh, during the course of a play. And I think maybe that's an overlooked aspect of the offensive line play. When you teach and when you're trying to develop an offensive line, you spend a lot of time on technique and fundamentals, getting the plays down, you know, initially, but a lot of stuff happens pre-snap and a lot of stuff happens for the, to the offensive line right after the ball is snapped. And I just wonder if maybe that is an area where Penn state needs to improve. And you could have a bunch of four-star recruits starting for you on the offensive line and they look good and they look good in practice, but what happens when the defense the defense confuses them? And I'm just wondering, I saw a little of that last year where there was some indecision. That's an area they need to clean up. And they're, they're, they're starting some new guys in new spots. Scruggs at center doesn't have a ton of experience. Landon Tengwall has been a tackle his whole, his whole life. He kicks inside the guard. The new left tackle, Olu Fashano, has one career start, even though he looks good. And then you're talking about Wormley coming off an injury. And Hunter Norzat. So I still think there's some areas where I'm a little bit concerned just about the total package of the offensive line. And that's something I'm going to be wa- watching, especially early in the season. And, and you you know that other coordinators are, are thinking about that very same thing. You think about some of the factors, and obviously I'm no expert here, but uh, play recognition, what the defense is doing, chemistry, coaching. You know, and you talk about, you know, new parts, the chemistry probably is going to have to be built, not not inherited right right from week one. And recognition comes from, you know, a lot of times experience like that's coaching, too. But, 
you know, experience and working together. So the idea that this group is not going to have any hiccups along the way seems a little unrealistic given all the, I, like, I, I like all the individual pieces too, but I don't think you just step onto the field as, as a unit for the very first time and, and have all that together, you know, and, and maybe, you know, you can have some guys who are, who are above and beyond what their recognition skills or communication, and you can make up for some of that, but it only takes one. I, yeah. Yeah. There are going to be some bumps in the road here. Yeah. One, one little misstep from any one of these five guys and you've got, you've got a free rusher. So it's definitely something to be thinking about. I, I like the group, but you know, it, it, it is a new group collectively. Uh, shifted over to defense real quick. A couple guys I want to bring up there. Tyrese Mills going from safety to, to linebacker. Not, I got to say not a big surprise, both in terms of that position transition. And I think the player too, you know, I, I did kind of feel like somebody at safety was going to be ticketed to maybe do what Jonathan Sutherland was doing. And it just looks like Tyrese Mills has, has kind of shown that he's got a little brighter future at linebacker than safety. Yeah, I think Penn State looked at him when they recruited him and said he's already a, a pretty a pretty big uh, safety. Why not start training him for that star position, which essentially I think is really what Jonathan Sutherland is 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 doing as the coverage. You know, the strong side linebacker. You got to do a little bit of coverage, but you also got to be ready there in run support. I think James Franklin said earlier in the offseason that the closer to the line of scrimmage that Jonathan Sutherland is the better he plays. I know what that means. I mean, I, I don't know that they want him covering tight ends maybe or wideouts too far down the field. It could be It could be the very same thing with Mills. He might just be a much more effective player if he could stay within three, four, five yards of the line of scrimmage. And, I, and, that, that's, and I think they feel so good about their safeties where they think that they have four that they're going to play that, hey, we want to get this guy, we want to get this guy, this Juco, up to speed. We want to get him some game reps. We want to get him some action. So let's like, let's, let's start training him to be maybe hopefully down the road. He could be, he could be the star guy or he could be, he could be the coverage linebacker on the strong side. Um, you know, the, the field side. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. They've had so much success with the Juco's coming from Lackawanna, especially athletes that are his size that I think, I think Penn state knows that if they like the kid, they trust what they see and they trust what he did at Lackawanna. It, it, it's incumbent upon them to get him ready to play sooner rather than later. Do not spend a lot of time having him buried on the depth chart anywhere. If Brent Pry was still the coordinator, do you think this transition would be made now? Uh, you know what? I think that Brent Pry, uh, as good as he was as a defensive coordinator, the teaching aspect of playing defense at certain positions, at linebacker especially, and maybe at safety, you know, at corner, I don't know that you really, there's a lot to teach at corner. Either you're going to play zone or you're going to play man. And at the, you know, along the defensive line, I don't know, you know, can you get off the ball? Are you big enough to push the pocket? But when it comes to the linebacker positions and the safety positions, I think when you look at on the defensive side, the overall aspect of playing those positions physically and mentally, um, I think that he, he errs on the side of caution. And, I, you know, I think we saw that with Micah Parsons when he played linebacker. They didn't really turn him loose until the second half of his second year. He's, he is literally terrorizing people in the NFL, and apparently he looks even better. I, I think you might be right, uh, Dustin. I think that Brent would, is probably a little bit more cautious than, than maybe Manny Diaz, even though we haven't seen Manny Diaz. But I think it's fair to say that he was 
he wanted to make sure everyone knew exactly what they were doing before they got on the field. And sometimes players are so good athletically that they can recover maybe from a mental mistake or two. First of all, I, I like the I like making this determination now for for the kid to go through a season, you know, with, with that in mind to, and, to, and to not waste any time. It also adds just another layer of insurance, I think, at the linebacker spot. Like if you do have an injury, especially to Sutherland, that you can have somebody who's ready because Tyrese Mills looked like he was ready to me, you know, ready to ready to play some kind of role in year one. And looking back at the other Lackawanna guys like Brisker played a small role. Jair Brown played a small role in year one, but they were ready in year two to really take it to another level. And I felt like Mills maybe can follow that same trajectory. So, but I, I, I do like make it, make it now. And, and I think there's a, there's a reasonable chance that he plays in more than four games this year. Right. Like that would be my expectation. Yeah. And, and you, you, I mean, Juco's now that we're out of the COVID year, um, you know, you use it, you have the Juco for two years. It's not a four year career. So you got him for a lot, a little bit shorter time. They should be a little bit more physically, ready to play after playing in junior college and the reward risk is worth it. I mean, get him out there, find out what you have because you at the very, he's got to be ready to go at the very least next year. So you got to get him some action this year. There's no, there is no point. Uh, if he's ready to go there, there it doesn't make any sense to hold him to four games, right? He needs to get out there. I'm sure he's going to play on special teams and they were never going to play him just four games, but he needs to have some meaningful experience even if it's in mop-ups or whatever, but he's a guy that if you like him, if you like a player as a JUCO, that means that you expect him to be a key contributor by the start of his second year. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to get him. Hey, if he's if we got four safeties we like, why put my, why play him as the fifth safety? Let's play him with the thought that maybe he could be a backup at one of the linebacker spots at some point during the season. Yeah, I think if push comes to shove, if you, if if something happens, you need to make him. Uh, make the transition back to safety. I think he's capable of doing that too. Um, speaking of safeties, my, my last thing for you is the key Wheatley being the takeaway king in the spring and, and the summer now. Like I, I think his his skill set, I think James Franklin said something again along the lines of the ball just likes him or something like that. How meaningful is it to have this guy that, that Penn State is excited about who seems to have legitimate ball skills, not really sure what his role is going to be in terms of reserve or starter or you know maybe those, those lines are blurred because they do have four guys that they like a lot there. I think there's something tangible here that Zaki Wheatley brings this element of, of takeaways to that safety spot. Yeah. Uh, James talked at length that he was asked about Zaki and he, uh, he did talk about everything he referenced. He also though paused and he said, you know, um, he's trending in the right direction and that there's still some things he needs to get cleaned up. The second part I paraphrase that to me means Keaton Ellis is probably going to be the guy to start the year. But the minute they feel like Zaki or Jalen Reed are ready to maybe play fast, understand their responsibilities, get lined up right, do all the things they asked of their safeties, they're definitely going to play them more. But I, I read that as Wheatley is a freakish athlete, and he certainly is. And he does, he is around the ball. He was around the ball in that spring game, which means nothing. When he was on the field and the ball was in the air, he was always around it. He was always around it. And I think that is a great attribute, very much Jair Brown-like. But I do think this late in camp for, for James to say he's trending in the right direction and there's some things they still need to make sure about with him, whether it's alignment or I don't know if it's run support, whatever it is. They know what they have in Keaton Ellis, um, who's got more experience. And 
you're going to open the season at Purdue against that offense that could put points on the board, you have to be able to trust both your safeties. So I would be surprised if Jair Brown's running mate in the Purdue game, at least to start, um, wasn't Keaton Ellis if Keaton is healthy and you know ready to go. But I really do think it's 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 a very short runway for Zaki Wheatley to earn some playing time because the talent is very real. And there's there's just not many safeties that are built like him. He's I think he's only gonna get bigger and better. He already has the pass coverage, I think, instincts down to play uh, you know, like be like the safety maybe in the center of the field. So I, I think they do like him, but I do think it, I don't know that they're ready to start him against the Purdue offense uh, to kind of this early in the season. I think if they had opened the season with a couple of non-conference softies, I think we would see a lot more as a key wheelie, but I think it might not be in their best interest. You're going to want to minimize your mistakes on defense against this Purdue offense. I, I think that's a good point too. And it, you know, anytime you have a training camp battle, the burden really is on the younger guy to make it, so there's no doubt about it. And it just sounds like Zaki Wheatley hasn't gone to that extent yet. Everybody knows the upside, the ceiling. Uh, and everybody also knows that he'll, he'll be playing. So we'll see. But yeah, minimize mistakes on defense, especially against that Purdue offense. We will be transitioning here on the blue-white breakdown to Purdue previews and actual football. It felt like it was just a lifetime away. Now we're, we're less than a week into it. So we'll be back all week next week looking at this Purdue matchup and obviously all season long here on the Blue White Breakdown. Download it anywhere you can download podcasts and check us out penlive.com slash football. We'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Live.